credit. Yes, thank you. Log Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening and welcome to Yada Hia. We're uh, in the midst of celebrating uh, Sukkah. It's uh, that wonderful time where we get to camp out with our Heavenly Father uh, and enjoy His uh, His company. Uh, Sukkah, of course, is the culmination of the seven Moed Mikre. It's the result of the first six. Everything with God is a pattern of six plus one equals seven. Uh, six is the number of man, God represented by one together we are god's idea of perfection and so when uh, when the last of the steps to being able to camp out with god is complete which is kaporum uh whereby yisrael and yauda are reunited then this is the result of what we get to celebrate uh it is interesting i'm uh, i was telling kirk before the show began that i've spent the last two days wrestling with uh, uh, Mashal, uh, Proverb 30. And it is uh, uh, such a challenge to translate because if you just go by the names, it was written by someone that we know nothing about who uh, both claims to be a prophet and then claims to know nothing, to be a complete uh, nincompoop. Uh, and then the nincompoop, uh, if you believe the text, just read it literally, asks six probing questions, uh, which uh, no Jew seems to know the answer to. And so it was a, uh, a real challenge to try to find out what in the world is being conveyed here and who are these uh, players. That, and it just dawns on me that uh, and it's appropriate for this, that the the names that are used don't represent actual people. They, uh, they uh, represent a characterization of Dode, who is the author, representing uh, the fallen state of Yahuda, and that he is writing on behalf of, uh, of what his people will become. 
And so speaking for Yahuda, he says, I'm senseless. I don't understand anything. I've got no clue who God is. I've got no clue what he says. I've, I've got uh, no skills uh, at, at all in terms of being discerning. It, it's just that I'm clueless. Speaking on behalf of Yahuda, uh, moving towards the, uh, the end of, of uh, time. And it is true. They, it's the biggest problem with uh, with Israel and with Yahudim is they're clueless as to who God is. So uh, it is fascinating. In fact, the only way that I was actually able to make sense of the words is that one of them, which is a uh, epithet for uh, for Yahweh himself, is based on a word that only appears twice, and one of the two times happens to be when uh, uh, Yahweh is uh, inspiring Jacob, who is now named Israel, to give a blessing uh, and thereby predict the future of uh, Yahudah and what's going to happen to Yahudah as we go into the future. And I think it'll be fun when we get to it, when we actually translate that passage about, uh, you know, the scepter shall not depart from between his feet, I don't know what you're supposed yeah. to do with a scepter between your feet. And by the way, it's not talking actually of a scepter. Scepter is like the eighth definition of uh, of the word, and it does not go between the feet. Uh, and then they say until Shiloh returns. And of course, they have Shiloh uh, there uh, because they don't have a clue what uh, what Shiloh is. And so they just give up. And they say, oh, well, it must be a metaphor for our Messiah. <laughs> What's interesting? You know, it's, it's actually Shiloh, not Shiloh. And you know what it means? Singer oh, and no. songwriter. <laughs> Singer okay, and songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> Singer and songwriter. The whole thing, of course, is is good. 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 Is, is about Dode, and it's uh, it's a lovely uh, bit. So we'll uh, uh, we'll do it. It's actually the first prophecy that, uh, in the order that they're presented throughout the uh, Torah prophets, that Christians have misappropriated for themselves and they think that it is their Jesus who is returning as Shiloh as opposed to uh, Dod. What of course is also interesting is that they uh, they translate Shabbat uh, as uh, a scepter and it says it shall not depart from uh, what they would say is Judah until uh, uh, Shiloh returns which is their Messiah but they they forgot that uh, shortly after Alexander the Great went through there uh, they lost control over the province of Yauda. They uh, continued to have no control, the scepter, if you will. They did not rule over uh, Yauda during the, the time the Romans occupied it, and uh, they most certainly didn't rule over it after the Byzantines controlled it or the Muslims controlled it. And uh, last time I checked, I... <laughs> We have not had a return of the Passover lamb, so none of it works for Jesus. Mm. But nonetheless, they uh, they cling to it. But it all worked beautifully of uh, Dode, and it's a uh, which is one of the really fun things to see how the pieces come together. If you're willing to go to the first use of the word and uh, track it from there, because God gave us every clue we needed to understand the prophecy. We're going to return to where we were uh, this time last week. We were uh, t- uh, talking about. Uh, 
Pope Gregory III, um, 731 to 741 CE. He is the fine fellow that approved and dedicated sanctifying Halloween. Yes, he did so in the Basilica of St. Peter, saying it was a day for all saints. Now, according to Yahweh, there are no saints, but nonetheless, with Roman Catholicism, it was a day for all saints, uh, and it uh, should be observed as a day of fasting. Of course, uh, there's no uh, adherence to fasting anymore since the day of of candy and sugar, but uh, it was... uh, the reference to fasting is because the bozo knew that uh, it was the closest replacement that uh, Roman Catholicism could have to uh, Kippurim. Uh, Christmas was the replacement for Sukkah, so you needed a replacement for Kippurim. Well, well, why don't we, uh, I've got a wonderful idea. Let's have Halloween. Uh, What better way to reconcile your relationship with God? So the religious holiday known today as Halloween, it came to America with the arrival of the Catholic Irish and during the potato famine, uh, it has subsequently grown into one of the nation's most celebrated evenings. And the reason we talk about these pagan holidays is because without exposing and condemning religion, there really is no way to God. Uh, It's a prerequisite. You have to be willing to forego religion and disassociate with it from it before you have any opportunity to have a relationship with God. It's the first condition of the covenant. So it's important for us to expose and condemn it, just as Yahweh uh, does routinely. So in the process, the pagan necromantic celebration of Halloween has become a widely popular counterfeit of Yahweh's sixth Mikre. In this way, it is identical to another Roman celebration, Dias Nautilus Solus Invicti, the birthday of the Inconquerable Sun. The Roman legions honored Mithras, uh, who was the Babylonian sun god, and the god of Constantine, who was the founder, really, of Roman Catholicism on this day. And during the reign of Aurelian in the 3rd century CE, the December 25th observance of the birthday of the unconquerable sun was promoted as an empire-wide holiday in honor of the legions and their god. If you are a Christian and celebrating Christmas and you think it's the birthday of your baby Jesus, I got news for you. It is the birthday of the pagan sun god, Mithras. It would serve as the basis for, of course, onward Christian soldiers uh, marching off to war since this was the cross of the Romans going on before. This transition from Roman militarism to the Christian religion was aided by fellow Roman Paul, who told Timothy, You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. Yes, indeed, the Christian Jesus needs good soldiers. It was the basis of the Crusades, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yahweh mm-hmm. only calls us to defend one place, Jerusalem. Yahuda Yisrael. Um, we working with Yah against the Christian are, soldiers. 
yes, are entitled to defend it against the Christian soldiers. And don't think that he won't upon his return. Now, back in time, uh, Julius Caesar, the, uh, the Saturnalia, named after the Roman god Saturn, was observed on the winter solstice, which also fell on December 25th. It marked the birth of the son of the sun. The date was chosen because nine months earlier, the mother of God and the queen of heaven, the Madonna, known in the Torah and prophets as Asheroth, was impregnated by the sun on Easter, marked by the Sunday nearest the spring equinox. This pagan religious holiday featured a bunny who laid colorful eggs, the consumption of ham, and hot cross buns, not unlike the celebration of Easter today. Then, continuing to foreshadow Christmas, the Saturnella uh, turned Dies Natalis Solus Invitici was celebrated by exchanging gifts, placing lights on trees cut from the woods, and hanging circular wreaths and burning Yule logs. There is no aspect of Easter or Christmas that have anything to do with Yahweh's story, and they all have to do with pagan lore, particularly Roman. The customs still practiced by the preponderance of Christians are not popular with God. This is what uh, God has to say about the practice of of Christmas. Hear the word which Yahweh proclaims to you, O household of Yisrael. Yahweh says, Do not walk conducting your life in the way of the Goyim. Do not teach the signs and symbols of the sky, for the Gentiles are confused and destroyed by them. For the customs and traditions of the foreign nations are delusional. They cut down trees from the forest, the work of their hands with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it so that it will not totter. Their trees are like finely decorated cultic objects. They cannot speak, they cannot walk, and must be carried. They, so you should not revere or venerate them. Indeed, from them there is nothing beneficial. There is none like you, Yahweh. You are empowering, and your great personal and proper name is mighty. Who would not revere you? Indeed, it is your due. For in all of the sages and Gentile nations, including their empires and governments, there is none like you. They are unreceptive, often senseless, and destructive. They're foolish, lacking understanding in their doctrines and teachings, delusional in their worship of idols, cultic icons made of decorated trees. Yermayah, Jeremiah, that's the 10th chapter, the first eight statements. Hmm. And yet, how many Christians decorate their homes with a Christmas tree? Just about all of them. Stunning, right? Mm-hmm. People would be that contrary to God's instructions and carry around the book which contains those instructions while singing Christmas carols to their baby Jesus. 
Now, Cyprian, who was considered a church father, he was a wealthy pagan whose writings transformed him into a venerated Catholic saint. He wrote, and this just shows you how stupid these fellows are. Oh, how wonderfully acted providence that on the day which the son was born, Christ should be born. <laughs> hey, idiot. You guys had your Jesus Christ born on a day that would coincide with the pagan holiday. That was not probably hey, my imaginary friend can have any birthday I want him to have. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And that's they, true. Chose, that's true. they chose their imaginary friend, Jesus Christ, to have a birthday at the same time that's as Saturn. Isn't that convenient? Funny. And then what they said, it's a miracle that a our miracle. Jesus has a birthday on the same day as Saturn. Indeed, he must be a god. Mario Raghetti, who was a renowned Catholic uh, liturgist, wrote, The Church of Rome, to facilitate the acceptance of faith by the pagan masses, found it convenient to institute the 25th of December as the feast for the temporal birth of Christ, to divert them from the pagan feast celebrated on the same day in honor of the inconquerable and invincible son, Mithras. Manual of Liturgical History, 1955, Volume 2, page 67. They know the truth. They know they were manipulative. They did this simply because the easiest way to amass pagans into your religion is to identify with the pagan holidays. And though this corruption all, said, all turned, things to all people? Yeah, just be all things to all people, and you're, you will um, appeal to a massive number of people. The only problem is your appeal will be wholly deceiving, and God's not going to take kindly to that. So through this corruption turned counterfeit, the meaning and purpose of Sukha shelters was lost upon Christians. Even worse, the masses were taught to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Well, wouldn't that be an irrational concept if Jesus is supposed to be God? Of course. Does he need to be born again? No, no pun intended. No. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I cannot predict your reaction. The birth of the Passover this. lamb means nothing. It's the death of the Passover lamb that means everything. It's the whole importance of the Passover lamb is its death. Not Wait a minute. You're not celebrating the birth of uh, of the lamb that you uh, fix for dinner for your family to eat? No. Nope. <laughs> you aren't, huh? Don't even know what it was. <laughs> Why don't they put a date on the package when we go buy our lamb from the store and say, this lamb was born one year ago so that you can celebrate its birthday. Okay. Oh, good grief. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah I, I, I remember at the Exodus store because, you know, it's, it's been, uh, you know, probably nine months since I was uh, writing about the story of the Yatza, which is the withdrawal. 
and uh, you know mm-hmm. it's uh, it's hard to miss the uh, the great celebration of the lamb's birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, dear lamb! Happy birthday, dear lamb! <laughs> what in the world are Christians drinking? I mean, something's got to be in the water. Now, if I ran a farm, I might celebrate on the day the lamb was born. Going, ooh, I want to get to eat that one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I can't predict anyone's reaction to what if your religion should be horrible news. Uh, but I can tell you that the more I learn, the more I dislike the Roman Catholic Church for what this whore has done. It is not an accident that Yahweh's seven essential days, his invitations to be called out and meet, which embody the lone way to him, were concealed, corrupted, and counterfeited by man's religious traditions. It is not an accident that the church's replacements were all pagan, all based upon the worship of the sun, and all derived from Babylon, one of which, one error of this kind, would be bad. Scores of them, uh, something entirely different. And don't gloat if you happen to be a Jew, because you've got all seven Moed Mikre wrong. You celebrate Passover, thinking that Passover is simply the night that uh, you were uh, withdrawn from Egypt, and yet you don't understand that it's the doorway to life. Moreover, the, the central aspect of the Pesach meal is lamb. In fact, Yahweh was very insistent that uh, mm-hmm. you have enough lamb for the souls that uh, will be dining with you in your home. Mm-hmm. And what is the one thing that the rabbis limit almost to the point that it doesn't exist on the plate? Lamb. 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 It's, a, it's the one thing that's supposed to be there. It's the one thing that uh, they'll, they'll toss you a boat, and that's it. And, of course, Passover, Pesach, isn't the most important of those three initial days. It's matzah. And in mm-hmm. rabbinic Judaism, matzah is left as an ingredient. It's no longer a moed mikre. And yet, with Yahweh's point of view... Matzah is the most important day. Pesach is part of matzah, not matzah being an ingredient to Pesach. Because if you don't understand what matzah is about, which is the removal of religion, particularly and secondarily politics, from your life, from your soul, if you don't know what that's about, you don't celebrate that, you, you're in the worst possible circumstance because you're going to be immortal if you celebrated Pesach but you're going to be eternally separated from God. And, of course, you never hear in rabbinical Judaism a mention of Bukurim. I have not, no idea what it means to be a firstborn child born into Yahweh's family or that the firstborn of firstborn children was Dote, who they have no respect. Uh, Shabua has been relegated to the um, basement uh, because, well, it was usurped by Christians through Pentecost and called the birth of their church, which has no church was born this day. In fact, nothing was born uh, this day. Um, 
what Shabua represents is the benefit of the first three mikra. You know, you're, you become immortal, you become perfected, and you're adopted into Yahweh's family. You don't want to stay a drooling, pooping infant forever. Even God's going to say, that thing stinks. You know, God's going to say, what fun is that? It doesn't walk. It doesn't talk. It, uh, it um, just poops all over the place. It's time you grow up, kid. Well, that's the concept of Shabuah. It's about growing up, kid. We're enriched. We're empowered. Uh, we're enlightened by the set-apart spirit uh, on Shabuah. And we do it for a purpose. And the purpose is so that we can proclaim Yahweh's message on Teruah, which, of course, the Jews grew up also because they have replaced Teruah with the Babylonian holiday of Rosh Hashanah, head of the year. It is an absolute counterfeit for this time that we are asked to warn Jews in particular, but the world at large, that religion is deadly and leads away from God, and that God has a path to him, and that barely one in a million people are paying attention to him. And if we do a good job, then come the fulfillment of Kippurim, which is the day of reconciliations, it is not a fast. It is a part of the feast of Sukkah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that this is the day that Yisrael and Yahuda are reconciled together and the relationship is restored with Yahweh. Um, and when that occurs, then we can all camp out with God together. We are in this particular program and for the programs of the immediate future, talking about the fulfillment of Yom Kippurim, the day of reconciliations. But Kippurim, which is considered... <clears throat> Uh, always in the singular in Judaism, even though it's only presented in the plural in the in the Torah. Uh, religious Jews will tell you that it's a day of deprivation, of affliction, of denial, and of course it's the opposite with God. It is a day to celebrate the restoration and renewal of his covenant relationship. So let's continue to assess what Yahweh revealed regarding his return on Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliations, especially attuned to the role Dode plays in the reconciliation of God's relationship with Yahudah and Yisrael. Now, to do so, there are two additional prophecies since we just considered Yirmiyah. Let's turn back to Jeremiah. Uh, These upcoming days for Yisrael and Yehudim will be dire. Um, During the time of Jacob's troubles, which begins uh, in seriousness, really, uh, in uh, the fall of 2026, but gets to be very intense by 2029-2030. This is a time of being constrained, of being abused, of being afflicted, anti-Semitism, will devour uh, the world and uh, will probably lead to the Second World War. Conspiracy theories, both on the far left, boy, I tell you what, the progressives are. They ever out to lunch to destroy Israel. Those squad, those four congresswomen and the 
liberals, the progressives that uh, are thoughtless among them, are just insistent on ignoring the fact that 99% of the world's terrorist acts are perpetrated by Muslims, and yet they speak on behalf of Muslims and pretend Jews who treat Muslims better than uh, than anybody probably ever has. Um, in fact, they treat Muslims better than Muslims treat Muslims, that the Jews are the, uh, the real oppressors. It requires a complete um, eradication of evidence and reason. But nonetheless, that is what they're, uh, they're proclaiming. So as we move through this time of Jacob's troubles, um, God's people through conspiracy theories are going to be blamed for everything. The tiny nation is going to be forced to cede control of uh, Gaza in addition to the West Bank. Uh, the terrorists are going to seize upon that opportunity. There is going to be war. And as the world turns dark, darks, um, it's going to turn dark environmentally. Um, the number of hurricanes and tornadoes and tsunamis um, firestorms, uh, drought, heat waves, floods, you name it, is going to become much worse. Um, there is, you know, it's one of the great enigmas of our uh, time, fellas, is that, and it's important to know really where the world is headed, so let's talk about this briefly. Dave. Sure. There is this uh, myth that man is primarily responsible for the Earth's temperature rising, and that uh, that man, um, having created climate change, uh, can make sacrifices and redistribute wealth and the like to end climate change. Well, here's the truth. Uh, the climate of the Earth has gone through cycles, typically in the three to 600-year uh, range per cycle, where the earth has warmed and then it has cooled. And we have evidence of this going back millions of years. You know, Homo sapiens have been on the planet 150, 200,000 years at the extreme. Uh, and yet these cycles of global warming and cooling have been around millions of years. And we have absolute irrefutable evidence of them. Uh, uh, from not only the uh, the ice ages and the retreats uh, of them, but from the sediment in the uh, in the shallow seabeds, which you can date to different times, and we can tell during the uh, the three to five hundred, six hundred years that the Earth was warmer because things grow more prolifically, and when they were colder, and then even through the recorded history of man, we have now uh, six thousand years of recorded history, and we know that the earth was much warmer during the times where civilization seemed to flourish and much colder when the plagues uh, ransacked uh, the lives of, uh, of people. The Black Plague and Bubonic Plague took place during a global cooling period because there was less food, people were uh, uh, more um, improperly nourished, and as a result of those things, uh, the plague was, was far deadlier 
and uh, more effective. So the Earth has gone through these things for a long time. They have to do with the wobble on our uh, on our axis, uh, the uh, the fact that our orbit is not always consistent, and that the sun goes through uh, solar cycles, and the combination of those things create them. So if mankind were to stop everything and uh, and devote its entire capacity to climate change, we might be able to make a one, two, three percent difference, at which point everybody else on the planet would starve to death and be no progress and life would become miserable. But the best we could possibly do is a minor change on what is a massive um, cycle that has existed long before man. But we're in that cycle. Uh, and during this cycle, we're going to see more hurricanes, more tornadoes. Like right now, I've, I've got a, uh, a Cat 3 going to a Cat 4 that until two days ago looked like it was going to go right over the island that I live on. Um, and it, you know, it blow us away. And, uh, and yet, as I was looking at it with my captain trying to figure out what are we going to, uh, to do, um, it uh, shifted 200 miles to the north. And uh, now it's going to be what they call a fish storm. But these things are massive and they are powerful. And so are the tornadoes uh, that have been spawned around the world. And we just saw uh, the Isle of, uh, of Palms, Las Palmas, uh, in the Canary Islands explode. That's the island that is most likely going to lose the side uh, in a volcanic explosion uh, and create a massive tsunami. Uh, the world's back talking about uh, asteroids again because this past week, um, two asteroids, one massive, the other a little smaller, both passed very, very close to the Earth and neither were known previously. We didn't even know about them until they passed us. So. We are, yeah, we're going to receive a major jolt from a, an asteroid. We're going to have total economic collapse. There'll be an economic reset that that is uh, is going to be soul robbing to participate in. Uh, we're going to have complete and utter uh, anarchy uh, in our streets. There's going to be world war. So this is what we're headed towards, and there will be pandemics. Um, whether or not it's a continued um, reverberations of, uh, of COVID as it um, uh, migrates and, and matures and, um, or it's uh, another or variations of this. And we really have no defenses against them anymore because um, about 40% of the world's population is conspiratorial and the conspiratorialists are just too stupid to uh, do the right thing and there's uh, their religious devotion is is more zealous than that of the uh, uh, that of a, of a jihadist Muslim so uh, you there's no amount of evidence or reason that's capable of uh, of convincing them so that's where we are uh, that's where the world's going to be uh, and anti-semitism is going to be on the rise so you really want to capitalize now before Yom Kippurim. Yom Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah, which is 2033, October 2nd, 622 p.m. Should you survive to that time, 
And if you're a non-Jew, your odds of surviving are probably 1 in 10. If you are Jewish, your odds of surviving are about 1 in 3. But should you survive to that time, that's your last possible date. And why wait? Life with Yah is better than life without him. So as the world turns dark environmentally, politically, religiously, militarily, culturally, and conspiratorially, and good judgment becomes as rare as uh, the truth, and when all seems lost, Yahweh and his Masiach will return and save Yisrael. They're going to restore their relationship with Yahudah. This, then, is that story. The word... Hadbar, which to be revealed the way to enjoy the benefits of the relationship, my favorite Hebrew word, Asher, Asher. came to exist, Haya, the basis of Yahweh's name, with, this is El, from God, to Yerma Yahu. You know, it's interesting how many of these names are Yahu. Almost every reference to Yashaya is Yasha Yahu. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is it tells you that you, you, it's not just Yah, it's Yao. Uh, you've got everything but the final pronunciation of, uh, of the last syllable of his name. Yermaya, uh, Yermayahu, means that Yahweh raises up, that he lifts up, that Yahweh teaches and guides. So we should respect and revere Yah. So there's uh, the... Yerma has many potential connotations. Rise up and lift up, teach and guide, respect and revere, all directed at Yahweh. Based upon an association with Yahweh, to announce that this is what Yahweh, the God of Yisrael, proclaims, so as to declare. Boy, just think of that. You've got the word. You've got, uh, this is what Yahweh says. You've got uh, proclaims, and you have declare, and you have announce. You've got five words there that says, I'm talking to you now. I'm just talking to you now. Five words. Uh, You know, don't have to be real smart to figure, okay, this is God talking to us. Yahweh's name here is in Yermayahu's name, right? That's one. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, in a, uh, it says that, that uh, in association with Yahweh, that's Yahweh. two, uh, it, this is what Yahweh has to say. That's three. So in one sentence, Yahweh's name is mentioned three times. Mm-hmm. And he is, by the way, the God of Israel, not the God of a God-forsaken church. So what does he say? He says, of your own volition, say three Hail Marys and, uh, and put some money in the collection plate. Oh, no. It's he not doesn't even command. Make, make a confession to the priest. No, no, he didn't say that. Make a donation. Yeah. You know? No, no, no. Buy an indulgence. No. No. <laughs> what he says is, of your own volition, Katab. <laughs> all of these words the body, which lead to the proper path to get the most out of life, Asher, that 
I have and will be speaking to you, Gabar el Ata, doing so in a written document, El Shafer. No oral law? Yeah, sheesh! <laughs> Where is the oral law? No, sir. Yeah. No appreciate to interpret it either? He's just going to talk right at us, huh? Uh, he's going to talk right at us, and he's going to write it down. So, really, what's the difference between, between uh, Yermaya uh, listening to, uh, well, writing down what he says? If Yermaya turned around five minutes later and told, uh, uh, you know, Saul and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Kaim, hey, hey, mm-hmm. hey, brothers, um, this is what Yahweh told me. How would that be different than us reading what he wrote down? Can't verify it. Can't keep going over it. Over and over and yeah. over it. Yeah, so we have, I think we're in a much better position is that we can look at what he uh, said through Yermaya. We can analyze every letter, every word. Uh, we can make all the connections we need to understand. We can view it. We can view what he said through Yermaya with what he said through Yashaya and how that uh, equates to the Torah and to what Dode wrote. We're actually in a vastly better position to understand Yahweh mm-hmm. than were they. There's a reason, well, there's two reasons actually, why there's no prophetic reports after uh, uh, Malachi. I mean, one of the reasons is because there wasn't a single Jew for the next 2,400 years that was willing to serve as a prophet. No one's willing to serve. Guess what? There'll be no prophecies. No one to work. But second, but second, you have all this written down. The Torah's written down for us. The the Psalms are written down for us. The Proverbs are written down for prophecies. us. The, all, yeah, the all of these prophets uh, have uh, written their um, revelations down. Once they write them down, they're retained. They're yeah. Set in stone, if you will. They don't change. We have access to them at any time. It is such a a tremendous benefit. Of course, that's um, not how uh, um, the religious Jews want it to be. But look also in the opening three words, Kitab la how civil that is, how charming, uh, polite even. Uh-huh. The creator of the universe says of your own free will, of your own volition. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even say, he, he don't say, hey, boy, write this down. No. Like a lord. <laughs> I command you to write this. He says, no. of your own free will. Right. Yeah, wow. it's, uh, volition, it's conveyed in the uh, call imperative, which is uh, that yeah. we have a relationship, and uh, in this relationship, you have uh, the option, and I'm hoping that it is your choice to write all of yeah. these words, which the reason that Yermiah was serving Yahweh in this way is that he made a choice to do so. So he, boy, was already committed. He was, he was going to, uh, to do it, which lead to the proper path to get the most out of life, Asher. Asher should always be translated. It's one of these marvelous words which, uh, which reveal the benefits of being associated with Yahweh. And he says that I have and will be speaking to you, another Debar, 
and then again in a written document, an inscribed letter. By including Kathab and Shepher, uh, there is no denying that Yahweh wanted an immediate written memorialization of his spoken words. This was the only way to maintain the integrity of the message and to share his testimony openly and accurately. By doing so, something exceptional is achieved because those of us who are willing to listen in and then write these same words down become party to their conversation. It's as, it's as if we were there. We're placed in the same position as was the prophet. There really is no difference between where we are and the prophet. As a matter of fact, if Yahweh was, was dictating this and saying, hey, uh, Kirk, write this down. Mm-hmm. Your understanding of what he said would be vastly inferior to uh, JB's if you handed the document to JB. Because you're going to be focused on, I want to get, I want to make sure my spelling's right. I'm writing this word for word. I'm writing this word for word. That's your focus, right? Mm -hmm. And if you gave it to JB, now he's going to say, hmm, I want to know what this means. How does this relate to everything else? Does this uh, check? Can I verify this is from uh, Yahweh? He's in a vastly better position than is the agent of the message himself. Yeah, the advantage, yeah, the advantage of writing it down. We are party to the conversation. We're placed in the same position as was the prophet, <clears throat> perhaps better. By immediately transcribing the spoken words of Yahweh into the written word of God, everyone is provided an unencumbered access to the truth. Yahweh made this possible so we could get to know him. We could appreciate what he's offering. We could accept what he is requesting in return, and we could benefit from the result. Independently and directly, no rabbis needed. With all of the pertinent facts laid out before us, well, it seems good obvious, point. but there's no one to pay. There's no one whose ring you need to kiss, but still, it's worth mentioning. We'd be wise to capitalize upon what God has done for us. Pretty good suggestion. There are also numerous insights that can be drawn from this introduction. First, Yahweh identifies himself by name and by title, and yet there isn't a religious Jew on the planet that is willing to say it. I mean... They will do everything. These out of shape, you know, gray beard dudes will do gymnastics to keep from having to say, yeah, I was saying. I don't know what they, why they dislike it so, why they are so uncomfortable with it. But they couldn't read what we just read. I know. Yahweh identifies himself by name and by title, declaring that he is God and that he's God of Israel. Second, Yahweh prefers to speak in first person. And he prefers to talk so that we can listen. This 
idea that we should pray, which is central to the big three religions. Paul's pray without ceasing. And rabbinic Judaism, there is a prayer for everything. I mean, they've got a first day of Shabbat prayer. They have a second day of Shabbat prayer. They have a closing day of Shabbat prayer. They've got a Shabbat prayer on that stupid Esau fruit, that wrinkly fruit that is of no value to anybody. They've got a prayer for everything. You know, they go to the Western Wall and bob their heads up and down and pray some rabbinical prayer. It's, it's just disgusting. Of course, to be a Muslim, you're mooning God five times a day, bowing in a prostration prayer. So uh, I don't know what it is about religion that wants uh, man to pray to God, but God never asks us to pray to him. I, I bet you there are a thousand times God asks us to listen Mm-hmm. Shama, shama, shama. And it seems pretty obvious. I think I've got a really good relationship with Yahweh. Uh, we're, we spend the day together, yeah, on average, 8, 10, 12 hours a day, uh, 6, 7 days a week. Uh, we're together. We've got a really good relationship. But in terms of communication, even now 20 years in, it's about... me receiving and about one one hundredth of one percent me saying oh well let me uh, let me uh, share my my thoughts on that you know you know say 90 percent of my communication talking to god is going help me i'm not getting this what am i missing here come on yeah and you know and i used to even say that now I don't bother to say that because I, I realize, you know, realistically, that uh, if I'm struggling with it, it's his job to explain it. And it's my job to do the no, best I, I, I can. I say it more just uh, expressing a oh, frustration I when I can't figure oh, something I know, out. That's not actually even talking to No, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, <laughs> it was uh, like this uh, um, passage uh, in the opening of uh, Mashal 30. It, uh, uh-huh. it lists a fellow who's the son of a fellow that nothing is known about either fellow. And yet <laughs> the fellow claims to be a prophet. And then the first thing he says of himself is, I'm too stupid to be a man. This is going to take some time to figure this one out. I can either pass it, which is what I did, the, uh, the first... Uh, six or seven uh, times that I went through it for uh, introduction to God. It's in the name uh, chapter. Uh, <clears throat> I, I just passed it by because <laughs> good luck with that, right? Uh, and uh, this time I said, no, nah, I'm not going to pass it by. I'm going uh, to tackle it head on. Uh, and, oh, my goodness, the, <laughs> the insights and the fun and the joy of, of God just teeing it up for us. and said, all you have to do is look right here. I'll explain the whole thing to you. And kind of like so playing that's, t-ball, huh? Yeah, it is like playing t-ball. <laughs> yep. And rather than trying to hit off Sandy Koufax, uh, we're, we've got we've got a pumpkin <laughs> Boy, on the team. Uh, yeah, you. that dates me. I'm sorry. But, uh, yes. Shama, by the way, is 1160 times and counting. Okay. That's probably some more. That's a lot of that's a lot of listens. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, 
It's not the only Hebrew word for uh, for know, listen. And, yeah, yeah, and listen is yeah is presented in a number of different uh, different ways. So yeah. I'd be willing to bet that listen is probably the single most common instruction Yahweh gives. I, I think so. Yeah, to uh, to listen. Well, so as uh, and observe is simply yeah. to read. And if you're reading, then the only way you can actually listen to God is by reciting his testimony, which means it's the uh, shamar of shama. And if you add the shamars and shamas together, hey, you're uh, and um, yeah, you're going to be uh, well over a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Now. There are also numerous insights that we can draw uh, from all of this, as, as we were saying here. And, and the, the third one is that Yahweh wants us to write down what he has to say so that we can accurately share with others. You know, I'm rewriting this introduction to God. And one of the, uh, the challenges, of course, is that Jews are going to assume that because the Torah is written in Hebrew, that it doesn't need to be uh, translated in English. It doesn't need to be explained in English. And so my response, God's response, is to say that, excuse me, but um, it's only about 200,000 of the Jews in America, which is the second largest concentration of Jews in the world. There are 7 million Jews in America. There's only 200,000 that read Hebrew more Jews in Israel to speak uh, English than Hebrew. In fact, uh, the total number of Jews that speak Hebrew uh, is about 5 million. And so there are at least three times more Jews that don't speak uh, Hebrew and that speak English. And that uh, I didn't know this. I would have thought that the Chinese would be the, the language most spoken in the world. But it's not. It's English. Uh, so it's the language most commonly spoken among Jews. It's the language most commonly spoken in the world uh, is English, which is why we translate the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms into English. But the other issue is that right around um, beginning 70 CE, and uh, through about 133 CE, this would be the second and third Roman assault on the province of Yehuda. Uh, Hebrew uh, essentially died as a language. Um, the Jews who survived those two um, assaults by Rome left or dragged away as slaves Yehuda speaking the languages of the uh, of uh, the powers uh, that be. They would be Aramaic, uh, Latin, the language of Rome, uh, Greece, uh, the, uh, the language really of the enlightened world at that time. Those were the three languages they spoke and that uh, Hebrew was, uh, was became unspoken. Um, and it stayed that way really until probably the 10th or 11th century. And the meaning of Hebrew that we find in, um, um, in many of our lexicons now is reverse engineered because there was no ongoing connectivity between the Paleo-Hebrew and the, the Hebrew of the Torah and the Hebrew 
really all the way through the last of the prophets of Malachi. There's no connection between that Hebrew and uh, um, modern day Hebrew. Uh, first, even the definitions in the, uh, the Tanakh Hebrew were reverse engineered from Aramaic, Aramaic. It's the reason why the diacritical marks were put on a language that already had five vowels. And so many of the definitions of the word, the grammar rules, were reverse engineered from the language they knew because they wrote the Babylonian Talmud in, uh, in Babylon, which is where uh, Aramaic was the principal language. Uh, and therefore, so many of the definitions, so many of, of the approaches to Paleo-Hebrew were reversed engineered from uh, Aramaic. And so if we really want to understand God's intent, we want to understand what he said, we have to work very hard to uh, reverse this period of aging. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it that we have to peel back, which is why an English analysis of it is really uh, exceedingly helpful. And I would say that the modern speaker of Hebrew doesn't recognize that of the 33 to 35,000 words that a modern speaker of Hebrew will use in, in their normal conversations, that only 8,000 of those words were reverse engineered out of Aramaic that come from the Torah. Uh, about 25,000 of those words came directly from the Talmud. The most of the rest would be from English because of its, its popularity around the world and, it's not, and the technology uh, advances that uh, were promoted initially using the English language. So even modern Hebrew is far more influenced by the the Talmud by a factor of five, six, seven to one than it is the uh, the Torah. So that's the reason why we write and we communicate this message. That's why Yahweh's Nesh sign is written in English. You know there's nowhere else in the world that doing what you're doing. No, Another point not. somebody ought to take. You know, so <clears throat> that's why Yah's pointing here. God has a lot to say about it. In fact, when we were um, the most recent long passage from Yahweh that I've translated prior to getting into the 30th uh, uh, Mashal was the entirety of Dabadim Deuteronomy chapter 4. And it's perhaps the most important speech ever made is uh, Moshe's uh, speech uh, not just to the children of Israel who were before him, but the huge part of the speech is prophetic, speaking to us today. And even in that speech, there are five or six lines that speak specifically of what we're doing today. So this is important to, uh, to Yahweh, and it's important to his people. It, you are correct, and Yahweh recognizes that, that since there hasn't been a single Jew uh, willing to work with Yahweh uh, for, well, since uh, Malachi, that the only way for Kippurim to be meaningful when he returns, for them to be a significant number of people, uh, is for us to be effective. That's why he's working with us. That's why he's doing this. So, 
Yahweh, uh, the fifth point here would be Yahweh proves his authenticity um, through actual fulfillment of the prophecies that are written down. And unless you write them down, there is no proof. But if you find a written copy, for example, we have a written copy of Yashaya that dates back to about 350 BCE. Um, I originally had said uh, 225 BCE, but it has now been carbon dated uh, to, uh, uh, to 365 BCE. Uh, with documents that are, um, are that old, we have the, uh, the opportunity to turn back the clock and to see what God really said and, and proof. But if you, if you look at, at copies of documents dating back into the 4th century BCE and then events playing out in the 1st, 2nd, 3rd century CE and then in the 21st century CE that we have written documentation of dating back to 350-ish BCE, then you have absolute proof of divine inspiration. So that's one of the biggest advantages of God writing this down. Sixth, Yahweh wants us to observe his written word as a collective whole rather than in bits and pieces. His testimony should never be pulled out of context or truncated to suit somebody's agenda so it fits neatly into a speech. Uh, the, uh, the great uh, dementia one, um, Joe Biden, was giving a speech about the, uh, the Americans that he had uh, sent into harm's way to, uh, uh, and that the Muslims uh, decided they would blow to smithereens. And he was speaking of their noble service, and, and he says that they are the ones that uh, Isaiah spoke of when he said, who should I send, send me. <laughs> yep, that's what Isaiah was speaking of. There's no question about it. When he said, send me, he was really uh, talking about uh, an American who would fly into an Islamic country with, uh, with a gun to, uh, to go rescue Muslims. Uh, so I, obviously. Uh, obviously. So, so, Joe, I, you know, even though I think you're senile, you must have gotten that one right. <clears throat> Seventh, Yahweh understands that the written word is less susceptible to alteration and better suited to learning. Therefore, he prefers it to the spoken word. And eight, God knows that the inscribed word facilitates closer examination and more thoughtful consideration, thereby making it easier for us to know him. Ninth, Yahweh recognizes that a document provides a demonstrable record upon which his prophecies can be evaluated and their validity can be authenticated. It is so much better to communicate in writing versus orally. You know, we do this program orally because there's a lot of people that don't have uh, access to the written word and that it is specifically done to, because it's posted in so many different places, to, to introduce people to the books so that they will read them. But also it's a chance for a family to come together, as we do as a covenant family, 
a chance for the family to come together and to celebrate the relationship and for us to learn as well. My uh, favorite uh, uh, dog, Asher, is crying incessantly that needs to be let out of my office. So let me go and, and let her out, and I'll be right back. Okay. We do not know what it was that got her attention, but uh, after 15 minutes of crying, I figured I, better, I had better open the door. So Asher has been freed. She's now Roman free. So there are so many different ways that, uh, that Yahweh is insistent, reasons Yahweh is insistent that uh, his testimony be written down. And I, for one, am exceedingly grateful because, uh, you know, one of the, the frustrations that I have today is that the overwhelming preponderance of people receive their news from video clips. And they, they want to send you a video, and they say, see this video, boy, it's really entertaining. What do you think? I hate it. I have no interest in listening to them. Uh, first of all, you can read seven times faster than you can listen. So I want to read. But second of all, mm-hmm. if I'm reading, and I'm reading on a computer, I can highlight something, put it in a search engine, and I can bring up 20 different articles on it, 30 articles on it, and I can validate whether or not what I'm reading is true. When I'm listening, first it's hard to pause, but how do you go back and validate anything? Uh, and I, I'm just here to tell you that, that written material has to be so much more thoughtfully composed. And because it leaves this, this enduring legacy you have to be much more careful. Uh, you know, if I were just saying, hey, uh, it's October 2nd, uh, 622 p.m. Um, in uh, 2033, that is year 6,000 Yah with the beginning of the celebration of Yom Kippur, and that's the day that Yah was returning with Doug. If I were to say it orally, uh, if it happened or didn't happen, no one is going to know. Be almost no one that would be able to check it. Mm-hmm. If I write it down and include it in all, you know, twenty-five or so books that we have written, and say it often and then consistently put it in writing, and if it doesn't happen, then you can say, well, the guy was a real nincompoop. He uh, he thought he knew, but he was like everybody else. He really didn't. Off so, the ball on that one, didn't you, Craig? Yeah. So you, you better be. You, you need to be careful when you put it in writing because it endures. It takes a great deal more confidence to put something like this in writing. So we should be smart enough to realize that when some pretentious religious proponent claims that God spoke to him, he's lying. We know this because God had his prophets write everything down that he had to say. Oh, Joseph Smith, man, he, uh, he had to uh, you know, go to somebody else to, uh, to get it all written down. He didn't do it. Why? Because he made it all up. Why are all these guys that claim that God spoke to them 
saying things that are contrary to God. Alma couldn't even write. Yes. I mean, here are the, the issues. If God is going to speak to you, you are a Jew. You are a Yehudim. Bottom line. If he's going to speak to you, directly to you, you are a prophet. You don't want to be a prophet. Because if you're a prophet, first the world's going to treat you really badly. But beyond that, you're now in a position that a single mistake is deadly. That's a tough standard. So you better really be sure that you've been called out to be a prophet. And the fact of the matter is, there's no reason for more prophets. God has said everything we need to know. Why not just simply translate and then try to understand, discern insights from what he has already revealed? Being a witness is cool. Being a prophet, not so much. So, and clearly God's got nothing more that he needs to reveal prophetically. He's talked about everything we need to know. So, Yahweh used the one name, Yahweh, the name that all of the people that claim that God speak to, spoke to them ignore, and even abhor. And this is because the message of the village idiots, um, it always contradicts rather than affirms the proven words of God. And therefore, they are doing nothing but blowing smoke. Returning to Yermiah, this would be Yermiah. 33. Indeed, behold, a time is coming, prophetically reveres, reveals Yahweh, when I will return to restore the property and possessions taken during the captivity of my people, Yisrael and Yahudah, declares Yahweh. And then I will return them, bringing them back to the land that for the benefit of the relationship I gave to their fathers, and they will receive it as their inheritance. Well, with that line, you can kiss Judaism, Islam, and Christianity goodbye. God has a name. His name is Yahweh. And he is returning. That means he has been here before. That also means that it's not Jesus who is returning, but Yahweh who is returning. And that Yahweh is here to restore the property taken away from his people. And his people are not Arabs. His people are not Goyim. His people do not belong to a church. His people were... And they remain, even upon his return, Yisrael and Yahudim. The, the great lie of Christianity was promoted by Paul. And what his lie was is because he alleges that Jewish religious leaders were all conniving and that they all collectively schemed to kill God. And that that pissed God off, that that these conniving rabbis and, uh, and such would scheme to kill him, that uh, he decided that they were no longer worthy of heaven and they had to be replaced with Goyim. 
That is the basis of Christianity. Without that myth, there is no Christianity. And yet, that myth doesn't float because A, there were no rabbis in the first century. B, there is no way that Paul could have ever have known whether Jews were or were not scheming against Yosha. Number three, if the Jews did scheme to kill Yosha, uh, we should be thanking them because the Passover lamb does no good unless killed rather than thwarting them. And lastly, how can you have prophecies like this, which there are hundreds, maybe thousands, which speak of Yahweh's return to not a church, not the people that he has given up on, but the people he still loves, Yisrael and Yahudah. A passage like this that speaks of Yahweh's return to his people and that names them as Yisrael and Yahudah means it is impossible that the basis of Christianity can be true. And then I will return, bringing them back to the land. Oh, that would now destroy the mythos of the progressives, of the liberals who say it isn't their land. Abbas, the, uh, the um, fake Estinian leader. He uh, uh, is the fellow that has never won an election, and yet he is considered the leader of the fake Estinians. Uh, his political organization, the PLO, which is an Islamic terrorist organization. Uh, he has never honored any part of any agreement that has been brokered with Israel. And um, he is the one that celebrates Islamic terrorism against Jews. He gave a recorded speech today to the United Nations that uh, called Israel a, uh, an apartheid state. And that that the world will not tolerate them uh, occupying Fakistinian lands, and that if they do not get out of the Fakistinian lands, uh, uh, which they would view is uh, the uh, 1967 borders, that if they do not get out of the Fakistinian lands within a year, the world will have a conniption fit. That was his threat to uh, Israel. You know. Uh, Mr. Fakistinian, uh, leader that was never actually elected, because uh, every time there's an election, you lose by about two-thirds uh, to even more numbskull uh, Islamic uh, radicals and terrorists. Uh, if you thought that the 1967 borders were so swell and that that UN 242 should be affirmed, and that that's what you want to hold up now as the epitome of this is what's fair, why did you reject it? When it was offered by the United Nations, why did you not only reject it, but declare war against Israel and try to, to eradicate them? You can't reject it then, and then after they beat your tukas, three times now after you've tried to destroy all right, them. All right, we'll take it. 
uh, now since we uh, since obviously their god is better than our god uh well, all is a mouse so what do you expect uh <laughs> that now 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 yeah you're right all right all right all right we'll we'll take that good god what is the world it's just so unbelievably stupid that they would give the fake Estonians uh any credit and yet you know if you listen to a uh, an israeli speech uh you read an israeli newspaper mm-hmm. they're talking about the the fake Estonians as if they really were a people there are no fake Estonians. i'm sorry the last philistine was murdered by the assyrians you know 25, 2600 years ago. There's nothing left of them. They didn't really have a country anyway. In fact, they were, they were uh, imposters uh, originally. They, they were from Crete. They were uh, seafaring people. They invaded. Uh, the, the ones that, that came to Gaza... Um, were really renegades from the the rest of uh, of the tribes. They were pirates. They they were yeah they were the pirates. They were the ones that nobody wanted. They were the the uh, the thugs and misfits that uh, that came there. The only language that they had uh, that uh, uh, they were able to communicate was actually they adopted Hebrew and they adopted the Hebrew uh, alphabet. Um, but they had nothing going for them. And um, the Assyrians essentially wiped them out, and what the Assyrians didn't uh, didn't take, uh, the uh, the Greeks did. So there is no such thing as a fake Estonian. And God is is absolutely unequivocally giving His land to His people, and that does not include any Christians or any Muslims or any progressives. They're going to receive it as an inheritance. The way that they will receive it through it as an inheritance is through the covenant. So Yah takes exception with the Greco-Roman myth that there is a Palestinian people or that Palestine is a country. We can be assured that there will be no one, not two states, that there will be one state, not two, established in the land. Beyond this, after experiencing the diabolical impact of giving the high ground of Czechoslovakia to the Nazis, that wasn't all that long ago. We should know that appeasing terrorists is a really bad idea. What happened when Israel was forced to give Gaza to Hamas? Yeah, hit uh, rockets all day. Yeah. Turned out really good, didn't it? What happened when Israel was forced to cede uh, Lebanon back to uh, Hezbollah? Oh, no problem. We'll have the United Nations peacekeepers. We'll keep them from being militarized now that they have uh, several hundred thousand rockets. Rockets. Not a problem. Further, this prophecy reveals that Yahweh is coming back and that he is doing so to return the land and property that he gave to Yisrael and to Yahudah, that the 
uh, Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Muslims, the Ottomans, the British, all stole from them. It's their land. God is displeased that so many, beginning with the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, followed by the Roman Catholics and Muslims, and finally today the progressives and communists have tried to take his land from his people. I can assure you that God is not stupid, nor is he inarticulate. If Yahweh wanted to say that his return would be on behalf of a church and for the benefit of Christians, or that he was coming back as a Jesus, he would have said so. If God intended to transfer the promises that he made to Dode, Israel, and Yahudah to Jesus, Christians, and their church, he would have said that a day is coming when he is going to return the property and possessions he had given to Israel and Yehudim to Gentiles. For an informed and rational person, this is a fatal blow to the mythology of replacement theology and thus the basis of Christianity, even of Islam. It's also lethal to Judaism, a religion which claims that their nameless God is incorporeal and thus incapable of entering our world. These words reunite Yahweh directly with his people, returning what was taken from them by the likes of the rabbis acting like Goyim. Now, since Asher continues to play such an important role throughout this prophecy, and really all prophecy, when it next appears, it will continue to be fully amplified for our edification. It is, after all, the word which brought us to the words that we're studying over 20 years ago. And these are the words, Wa'el Leha Dabarim, which, to reveal the way, Asher, to provide directions to enjoy the benefits of the relationship on behalf of the blessed, fortunate, and happy, showing the steps to walk, which are correct and yet restrictive, which give meaning to life and provide encouragement and joy to those who are properly led and guided by Yahweh. He spoke concerning Yisrael and Yahudah. Now, do you think that God said, yep, it's true, Paul was right, you really pissed me off when uh, you uh, conspired to kill uh, my manifestation as the Passover lamb, and therefore you're toast. I made promises to, uh, to Abraham about you, but nah, I was just kidding. There is no way I'm going to honor them because, well, you guys conspired to kill Jesus. Um, I forgot to tell it to Shabuk. Yeah. That's because he's no longer reliable. Yeah, so that's true. So that wouldn't make much of a God. This, This is what Yahweh conveyed. We have heard the sound of concern 
over terrorists and terrorism. There appear to be no prospects of reconciliation. Peace. Yeah, that's uh, time is coming. Though. No quarter for reconciliation, no quarter for peace, no quiet from terrorism. Uh, Muslims within Israel are rioting daily. Uh, Muslims outside of Israel are attacking daily. And it's only going to get worse. How big, Craig, does the population have to be in America before they become uh, uh, terrorist again, other than the occasional? Are we close? Yeah. I, I, well, we have... It's usually like 6%, but I, I don't yeah, know whether that's, that's yeah, a real number we're, or not. We're in a real pickle right now because... Um, the progressives, the far left, control the media, and they have a, a lockhold really on uh, politics at the moment. And they are a completely irrational and illogical group. Evidence and reason means nothing to them. And the um, conservatives uh, despise having everything change so irrationally based upon them. And the fact that they no longer have any voice and they're demeaned in every possible way, uh, and they're not going to take it. So there is going to be a, a major fight in America over um, uh, between the progressives who are very violent. I mean, the, the most adroit expression of progressivism is the um, is Antifa and the Black Lives Matter uh, group. So. It's going to be belligerent, it's going to be aggressive, it's going to be irrational. And the, uh, the conservatives who are already prone to conspiracy are going to lash out against it. It's, uh, you want to keep your head down. It's going to be a really ugly time. And then all the while, the economy is going to, uh, to crumble as the whole world cascades into war. So this prophecy continually reiterates that Yahweh is speaking about Israel and Yehudah. As such, God has not given up on them. Hmm. He is not going to enrich others at their expense. Yahweh promised to provide Israel and Yehudah with that which was stolen by the very Gentiles who are now terrorizing his people. So as we consider what follows, a word of caution. Uh, this was directed at uh, Israelites and Yehudim, who are going through their lives as uh, people have done throughout the centuries. They are living in denial, believing that tomorrow will be like today and that nothing material is going to change. Sorry, but that is not the case. It is the mindset which made the Holocaust possible largely because Jews could not fathom the implications of trying to survive in a world that is determined to eradicate them. But these are not ordinary events being foretold. We're entering the occasion of restoration and return foretold through Yom Kippurim, which means that we are entering the time of Yaakov's troubles. If you are a Yehud or Yisraelite, wake up. Smell the stench of religiosity 
and politically inspired terrorism before you fall victim. Recognize that you are the target. Resolve your conflicts with Yahweh now, because tomorrow may be too late. Addressing the remnant of God's people, we read, Please ask and perceive if a knowledgeable man who remembers this should even have a child. Why then do I see virtually every virile male with his hands on his genitals and accordingly so many women in labor while every one of their faces has turned pale and nauseating? Hear me out, 36. You know, it's one thing to have to endure a horrible situation. It's another thing to do so with a child. Uh, my wife was mm-hmm. telling me about her uh, her grandmother and uh, what uh, she uh, endured during the Holocaust as, uh, as living out on a farm as the um, Nazis would uh, come in. And, and just because somebody sneezed uh, during one of their forced lineups, their degrading lineups, that put a bullet right between their eyes in front of everyone else. And they would uh, rape even little girls. And as they would come and search, if you didn't make yourself available to their abuse, then they would do everything to out you. And and her uh, grandmother uh, had a younger sister. And did everything that she could to protect her sister who was very afraid and would often cry out. And uh, one of the times that uh, they were sitting there in the basement of a barn underneath all the manure of the animals and hiding out, the sister started to cry. And so she put her hand over the sister's mouth to muffle the sound so that the Nazis would not find her. And she suffocated her. Oh, man. And oh. imagine, imagine... Imagine living with that. And imagine now a God so callous that he doesn't have recompense, that he doesn't hold those Nazis accountable. It's not the grandmother's fault. It's the Nazis' fault. And so many people have treated Jews that way. And so God is saying, you know, this is not a time to have uh, children. Now, if you're covenant, that's... uh, it is a, uh, um, this warning is not to you. And if you're covenant, then God's going to protect you and he's going to protect your child. That's what God does. But if you are anyone else, you do not want to go through this period with a child. It is not fair to them. Um, and you won't survive it. So God is saying, why? Why are they so fixated? on their um, genitals. Why are so many women in labor? It is an interesting question and a telling observation. Why is the population of this planet exploding now? We're going to soon pass 8 billion people while its overall health is imploding. Why are so many fixated on their sexuality Stimulating their bodies instead of their minds. Please pay attention to this important announcement. 
Alas, oi, this warning. Truthfully, that which can be verified, that day and this time will be so different and unusual that there has never been anything similar to it. It is the time of Jacob's troubles. Wa'eth Sarah Hugh la Jacob. It is the period of Israel's anguish and distress, of Jacob's adversity when Israel will be narrowed, reduced in size, and oppressed in dire straits by vicious foes. And yet from it, he, Jacob, Israel, shall be liberated and saved. Yasha. Oh, how can that be? If they're the ones that are going to be liberated and saved and God replaced them with Christians. Well, this is the announcement of the time of Jacob's troubles. Wa-eth, which means uh, and, and then eth is time. Sarah, uh, T-S-A-R, and T-S-A-R-A-H is to anguish, to demean, to trouble, to be an adversary, to distress, to narrow, to restrict, to confine, and yeah, Jacob, you in 242, Now, what most people don't make as a connection, how many times does Yahweh tell us that he descended to serve, to withdraw his people from Mitzrayim? And you might say, so what does Mitzrayim have to do with the time of Jacob's troubles? You know, Mitzrayim is the plural of Matsor, and Matsor is derived from Sor. Troubles. It's the same word. Mm-hmm. Yahweh delivering his people from Mitzrayim, the crucibles of human religious and political oppression, is exactly the same word that he chose to tell us that this is the time of Jacob's troubles from which he is going to liberate and save his people, Yasha. One is a metaphor and historical precedence for the other. There isn't one exodus, but two. And God is offering to save his people from the time of Jacob's troubles. And it is interesting, too, that the primary meaning of, uh, of Sar, the word trouble here, is to confine, to restrict, to deny, um, which is really the catalyst for, for all of this, which is that the West Bank, Judea, and Samaria are going to be denied Israel, just as mm-hmm. Gaza has been denied Israel, just as Israel has been denied claiming all of Jerusalem as its capital. And that when Israel is denied 
what has always been Yisrael uh, and Yehuda, that they will be confined to a smaller space. And as they are confined, they become more vulnerable. And what's going to be troubling is that they will be surrounded by foes and invaded by a flood of Islamic jihadists and then by a flood of communists. This is what's coming. There's only one way to escape it, and that's through the covenant. If you become part of the covenant um, soon, then you will be able to escape all of this during the Teruah harvest, which I think is likely going to take place on Teruah in 2027, 28, or 29, one of those three years, I think is the most likely fulfillment uh, of it. Um, and if you don't, then, well, you're not going to have yeah, a lot there, of time or a lot of opportunity yeah. uh, after the, uh, the true harvest, and you're going to lose so many um, salient voices. Uh, ultimately, what's going to happen is that after our voices are, are silenced, that we'll only leave the legacy of these programs and these books um, after uh, the Tarua harvest. Uh, there will be two individuals who return. Um, they will be very powerful and strong and bold voices on behalf of the Torah, on behalf of Yahweh, on behalf of Yisrael and Yahuda. They will speak vociferously and antagonistically against the rabbis and uh, Orthodox Judaism, um, against Christianity and Islam and progressive uh, communism. It's the last of it. That's the last of it. So this is a really powerful statement uh, here and uh, as it relates to Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 37. Uh, announcing this time of Jacob's troubles, that uh, mm -hmm. Christians would call it the tribulation. Uh, oh, they've got everything wrong about it, of course, but uh, the time of Jacob's troubles is, is focused on uh, Israel, and it's the world oppressing Israel and uh, Yahudim. Um, Kirk, my guess is that you probably looked up uh, Sarah uh, because it's uh, such an operative word. What did you find? Well, the interesting part about it was how much of this whole story is encapsulated in it. I mean, to sorrow, you've got distress and affliction and anguish. You've got uh, Tsar as a big trouble, but his great enemies and foes and adversaries. You got to look at other places and found uh, hard pebble flints for sharpened arrows or sharp implements of destruction. You've got persecution, both mental and spiritual and physical. I mean, it, it is indeed the worst time. And the more and the more ancient or, or um, concrete, it was funny. It was to be pressed um, and also uh, to be struck, to be crushed, to be narrowed. Which and I wrote down UN 242 into tight places and situations by enemies that uh, close in on one. So we have in, and then I, my note was invasion of the Muslims in the first case and the second case of the Asian. Communists or the Chinese or whomever is crossing over in the third in the what we call the third world war so and it's just funny he chooses words that are so full of meaning 
I just it freaks me out all the time. It doesn't freak me out, but it just it's such a joy. You look at it and say, Wow, you know, he can say more with one word and I can say with a thousand. Yeah, and, Which is and no they, good. Yeah, it's one of those words too, because it does mean to constrict, to constrain, to uh to crush. Uh, that this is really the thing that is required of uh of Yisrael and Yahuda before they'll become useful. You know, the it's pressure, like the, the pressure alone. Yeah. yeah. It's the, it's the uh, having gone through the crucibles, pressure of, uh, mm-hmm. of religious and political oppression in Egypt, for a short while, Israelites became functionally usable. Um, grain, people don't go buy uh, stalks of grain and say, let me go chew on those stalks. No. We separate the, the grain from the chaff, and then we crush yeah. we crush it uh, before it's turned into flour to make bread. Um, people don't say, I'm going to have a glass of grapes. Oh, the grapes have to be crushed before they are turned into uh, to wine and become drinkable. Uh, the other is, let's go burn an olive. Well, no, that doesn't work really well. Uh, so, on olives, great metaphor. They, yeah, they they yeah. have to be crushed to make uh, olive oil. Oil uh, for mm-hmm. all of the benefits of uh, of olive oil. Those are Yahweh's three favorite um, symbols, all of which require that they be crushed before they are uh, usable. And I personally see it as character. Um, you know. Th- we were talking today, um, my wife and I, we were talking about the difference between Dode and Solomon. You know, how did Solomon lose it all? Dode had built the country, had established Jerusalem as the, uh, as the capital, had bought uh, and prepared the materials for Yahweh's home and bought the land for it to, uh, to go on and had successfully defended his people from all attackers, eliminated the viability of their foes. And so Solomon inherited all of this. Yeah. Well, the difference between the two is that uh, Dote had grit. He had to to confront Goliath. He had to confront an adversarial king. He had to confront Israel's enemies. He had to confront internal uh, rebellion, even... uh, Rebellion from his own uh, son. And so he had grit because character also requires us to be in very difficult situations, to have those who could crush us try to crush us so that we develop the kind of character and backbone that makes us useful. Um, God did not reach out to me to do what we're doing before I had been crushed. You know, mm-hmm. to, slept around a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. to see yourself on the cover of a national magazine with, uh, with a 14-page cover story of which uh, nothing is true. Uh, it's it's you know, stunningly crushing. It's humiliating. Um, and being crushed in that way and surviving it builds character. It builds confidence. It builds courage. Uh, once you have successfully endured the worst the world can throw at you, 
then nothing stops you. Mm-hmm. You're bold. You have no fear. You, and that's the reason that Dode is so extraordinary is he's bold. He had no fear because he had been tested. It's, and he developed character. Because of that, he was now in a position to, uh, to do whatever was necessary. And that was the difference of Solomon. He, uh, he didn't have it. No. Um, you know, I, I kind of spoiled kid. Actually. Yeah, and you know, and there's so many stories that I could tell you. One of the things that I, I researched uh, was how likely is it that the uh, son of a successful father—I probably could have done it for daughters too—but um, at the time that I did it, many years ago. What I realized is that it is exceedingly rare for the son of a successful father to be successful. Um, they're handed too much. They're given too much. They haven't endured what their father went through to be successful. And they're more likely to squander their lives and to squander what they were given than they are to build on, on top of it. It is very rare for a father to have built something marvelous and worthwhile and for a son to take it over and to make it better. So um, character is what counts. And, um, you know, if you study orthodox Hasidic Judaism now, which you see is very, very weak individuals who have never been tested who've never developed the backbone that is necessary to fight and survive. Heck, they won't even defend Israel. They will not work for a living. They won't even defend the stupidity of their religion. Uh, What you find is that that's the most effeminate group of men in the world. I mean, you look at them and if you understand what it means to be strong, it's it's disgust when you see them uh, playing religious dress-up. Um, they don't have grit. They don't have character. They don't have backbone. Um, and one of the things that's going to be so unique about these, uh, the worst of the time of Jacob's trouble is when the two witnesses come. Because I'm going to tell you for certain, those two fellows have grit. Those two fellows are bold. They're courageous. They have no fear. They've been tried and tested, and they've overcome, and nothing will stop them from sharing Yahweh's testimony. Boldly, bluntly, aggressively. And that's really where we are now as a, as a, a family. Um, yeah. We're here to be bold, to be blunt, to be aggressive. It's time to let the, uh, the world know the truth. Um, mm-hmm. And... Pussyfooting around is not going to do it. So that's one of the problems, that, too, of beyond the fact that God could not find a single Yehud that was willing to work this way. I mean, I don't think there was any Yehud that had the, the backbone of doubt, the grit of doubt. Uh, if you listen to uh, even Yehuds that are critical of Orthodox Judaism, they, they're so full of it. They, they're afraid to actually condemn it. Yeah. They're afraid. They're afraid of it. Uh, they, they don't have the character and courage 
to stand up against it. Not one of them. And so that's one of the reasons why God's using a goy. He couldn't find a, uh, a Jew that had that kind of, uh, of character. Yeah, no. Right. Well, for example, when the Palestinians are threatening to, uh, to kill them and promoting all manner of lies, do you ever hear a, uh, a leading Jewish politician say, wait a minute, there's no such thing as a Palestinian. There's no, no such thing as Palestine. Yeah. No, no they're really, afraid. Really... Scott, well, I mean, by the way, know. doesn't like wimps. You know, this, yeah. the meek will inherit the earth. No, I'm sorry. They will not. Yeah, there is no one who is meek who has developed a relationship with Yahweh. Yahweh is not meek. The people that Yahweh picks to work with and through, they're not meek. Well, the first condition it's, not, it's not a meek story. God said, I yeah. grabbed them with a strong hand and I drew them out of there. Mm-hmm. How many meek, meek people you know willing to go against the grain and stand up to the scrutiny of being, you know, ostracized because of yeah, your relationship away. with God? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, does the truth matter more to you than an easy, comfortable, popular life? Yeah. No. There's a few of us that it does. Yeah, but you're correct. That's, there are so few people willing to stand up against the crowd. Because uh, there's no accolades at it. In fact, there's nothing but rebuke. And yet, there ultimately is the ultimate accolade. Um, you know, as, as we studied the last chapters of Yermiah, God is so grateful that we were willing to do this. He's going to hold a party in our honor. Well, that makes you, know? you cry. You no, know, it does you know, because people... it, it makes me sad. It, it First yeah. of all, it makes me really uncomfortable because the greatest honor we've ever been given is to be allowed to do this job. So sure. we want to give all accolades to Yahweh, just appreciating the fact that he get to saw, play. Fit, yeah. Yeah, saw fit to reveal know. himself to us and work uh, through us. We're delighted to be able to do it and to receive an accolade for God. The only reason you could even endure it for a second is say, God deserves it. He really does. After mm-hmm. all of this time of trying to, to relate to his people and them turning against him, and then finally you find some people that are willing to embrace him and accept him and, and work with him, and that they collectively help return his people to him, darn right he wants to celebrate that. And it's a father's prerogative to say, nice job, kid. And you, you know, people ask from time to time, uh, to me at least, and I'm sure that y'all, um, why aren't there more people that do what you do? Well, surely he can't be the only one. Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, ain't nobody out there. You can look around. And, and you can look around. I, you and know, how, I'd be delighted. How many times has Yahweh said, and I found no one, and I looked, I found, and I found no one. And opened the door, and nobody was this, there. It just so why would, so why would the ball. critics say, surely you can't be the only ones? Well, surely well, we yes, can, yes. because God said, yeah. I looked, and I found no one. And then he devotes 
huge swaths of Yermayah, even to his Torah, um, to telling us, yeah, these are the guys that I finally found. Yeah. And girls. <laughs> yeah, and girls. Uh, not uh, not uh, so impressive, but, you know, eat some humble pie, uh, my, uh, my children. Yes. I had to stoop this low to awake it to awaken you. <laughs> yeah, look, look what I had to drag up to do this. Look what I had to drag up. Yeah, you know, uh, and and that's always been my uh, my view of the whole thing, except for the fact that we are um, embodying many of the characteristics that Yahweh really does enjoy. Um, we're hungry to learn. We're, uh, our eyes are open, our ears are open. Uh, we love making the connections that lead to insights. We want to share what we've learned. We don't care what anybody else uh, thinks. We don't do it for money or acclaim. We do it for the, the joy of learning and the, the love of uh, Yahweh. We're among the very few that cherish his name, that use it routinely, which is so very important to him. Mm-hmm. Um, that recognize his Torah means teaching, that recognizes that that his covenant is a family, that God does not want to be feared, uh, and that the, the Moed Mikre enable us to transition away from the world of religion and politics and enjoy forever uh, with Yahweh. It's a lot to enjoy, a lot to share, a lot to learn, and um, so I look forward to being with you all next week. Uh, may Yah bless. Have a marvelous rest of your celebration of Sukkah. And we're going to continue to talk about the prophecies of, uh, of Yom Kippurim, maybe all the way to Yom Kippurim next year. But God had a lot to say, and we're going to, and we're, we're going to do our best to cover it. Yeah. We are. We are. Yep. <laughs> May Yah bless. Sounds like a good time. Shabbat shalom. Good night, JB. Good night, uh, Craig. Yeah. Shabbat shalom. Chak suka. Goodbye. Chak suka, yes.